about 17 years ago, on May the 7th, 2000, James Montgomery Boyce entered the pulpit of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for the final time of his 32-year ministry there as senior minister. He was dying of cancer, and he had just enough strength to say a few words and read the opening scripture for the service. And he took time to address the matter of how his congregation should pray for them. They've been asking that, and he he gave some thoughts, but then he said this. Above all, I would say pray for the glory of God. And that was fitting for a man who was devoted. His ministry was devoted to such a purpose. And when a memorial plaque was made for him, it displayed our text that we're looking at this morning. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's consider this final solace of our series. Let me read the text from Romans 11. I'm going to begin with verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, he had been, as you know, writing a long discourse on the subject of redemption. Starting way back in in chapter 1, all the way up through here, through chapter 11, he had presented the problem of sin, the solution of faith in Christ and his work. And then for those last couple of chapters there, he has sort of an appendix there, the place of Israel in God's plan. And then he concludes by just breaking out into this doxology of praise to God. With those, those final words, to him be glory forever. Now, I have no doubt that probably as he's writing this, it's just spontaneous. He just has to break out into to praise. And yet, as Spock would have said, it's the only logical conclusion to his discourse. Because the glory, the glory of God is what life is all about. It's what everything that he has written is about. And I'm going to take a little bit of time in in this service. I'm going to read a fair number of scriptures because what I want you to do is just get the sense of the scriptures, of how much they are filled with this theme of glory going to God. So in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 10 and 24, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Declare his glory among the nations. Or in Psalm 29, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters and in his temple all cry glory. For Isaiah, his vision of of being before God in the temple. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or in Isaiah 24. They lift up their voices. They they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. For God saying, And again in Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. For Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. These are but a small portion of the scriptures in which Paul, as as a good Jew, and especially as a Jewish teacher, he would have been bred upon. And that's why again and again he would be going back to giving glory to God. We exist. All the world exists to behold, to experience, to magnify, to to proclaim, to live for the glory of God and for God alone. It is for his glory that God created the world and, and all that exists. It is for his glory that God planned and he executed the plan of redemption. It is to It is to the cause of of God's glory that he's moving all of history into the the future climax of Christ's return and the establishment of of a new heaven and a new earth. His own glory. It's not just God's highest aim. It is his only aim. Now let's move that thought into the New Testament. And we'll see these same concepts of of glorifying God. What do we hear the the angels sing when they speak of Christ's birth? Glory to God in the highest. Or in Jesus in teaching in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or Ephesians 1. We who were the first to hope in Christ, 
might be to the praise of his glory. Or in that final vision in, in Revelation, in that throne room, and what are they singing? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory. So you, you see that continuing trade going on. All exists. Everything is for the purpose to give glory to God. And then there's a little twist or a dimension to this when Jesus comes into the picture. Listen to some of these texts. In John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For Jesus, when He hears of Lazarus becoming sick, that will lead to death. He says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus again speaking in John 8. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. And then when the Son of Man comes in His glory, it's Jesus saying of Himself, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. See that move? Jesus is receiving glory. In Hebrews, we are told, He is the radiance of the glory of God. And Peter says, To Christ be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Or again, going back to that throne room in Revelation chapter 5. And there all are singing, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. The glory of God is the glory of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God. God the Father is glorified through the Son, and the Son is glorified by the Father. They cannot be separated, and all created life exists for their glory. This is what it means, soli Deo Gloriam. We've heard the scriptures again and again and again. This is what we're made to do. This is our reason for being. Now, let's think a little bit then about what it means for us. First of all, the doctrine is the, what I would call the apex of the solas. In other words, it's it's what all the other solas have been leading to. Or you could say it's the center of of all the other four solas that they revolve around. We are justified by faith alone because of the work And the glory, then, because of that, goes to God alone in Christ. It's not based on our works. We look to Scripture alone. Because only the Word of God is that which is perfect in revealing God and His salvation. And God is most glorified when we trust that Word alone. Our salvation is by grace alone. Because God acts out of his own motive to glorify himself, not because of what he sees in us. And because he is 
He is most glorified when we acknowledge that we owe everything to Him. Not because of anything He saw in us. Not because we had something to bring to the table. It is all by His grace and for His glory. And our salvation is won solely through the work of Christ. And so God is only glorified when we acknowledge that all that we have and possess, our salvation is through Christ alone. Only through Christ. So if you fudge on any of these doctrines, faith alone, Scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone, then glory is going to be shared, a bit of it, with ourselves. Our own ability to figure things out. Our own ability to do work. So we cannot fudge together when we understand all things are from God, by God, and to God. Then there will be soli deo gloriam. We will be giving glory to God alone. Now another thing that this can help us to understand is what is the fundamental problem of man. It's expressed well in Romans 3.23. All have sinned. And what? And have fallen short of the glory of God. We were made to be holy as God is holy. And so we were to have glorified God through our living in perfect harmony with God. Reflecting his holiness. We were to be the image of God. And we failed. And there's nothing we can do. Even if we had desired to... To do so, we cannot reverse that failure. So how then is our dilemma to be solved? Well, it's going to be solved not by us, but by God. Who sent his son, Jesus Christ, and it is Christ who lived the perfect life. Who then could offer the perfect sacrifice. And so to God alone be glory. Now, something else that this doctrine does, and here's really, I think, the most practical thing to understand what this doctrine does. It provides the calibration we need in our daily lives. I've got this really neat new insulin pump. I'm a diabetic, and it's connected with a sensor, and it can tell where my, you know, how much blood, sugar I've got in my blood, Fairly accurately. What I have to do is keep calibrating it. So sometimes it's a little high and it's a little bit low. And I have to calibrate it so it's, it's got the right numbers there. Okay. Well, that's what this doctrine does for us. You know, we make knowing how to live actually more complicated than it really is. You know, we're trying to figure out, well, what would God, what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I following? Am I doing things right? We need to get calibrated. Well, if we would just ask ourselves one question, this is one question throughout the day, then we will have the possession, most of the time, the wisdom we need to know what to do. What glorifies God? My spouse, this is hypothetical, my spouse is so unreasonable. Why should I be the one to give in? What glorifies God? 
Why should I work so hard when my fellow workers are not working hard? What glorifies God? Don't I have a right to to my fair share? What glorifies God? I tell you, it's just suddenly things become pretty clear. It may not be what you want to do. It may not be easy to do. It's amazing the clarity when we ask ourselves, what glorifies God? Ask that question of yourself in both small and big decisions. And I'll tell you, you'll be surprised to see how simple the answer is. Ask yourself that question as you ponder about that neighbor and how you should be treating that neighbor of yours. Ask yourself that question as you ponder about how you ought to be treating your spouse or other members of your family, your your parents or your, your children. Indeed, ask yourself that question this very moment. Is what I am doing now glorifying God? And so that's a very practical thing. You know, someone might ask a question. Indeed, I've seen this question asked before, but from those who are kind of on the outside who and you kind of ask this question, look, God is so great, why should God insist upon receiving all the glory? I mean, think about that. If God is perfect, does he need us to glorify him? Actually, we, we sang a hymn. That, that hymn in the middle was by Dr. Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, and it was on this text. And it says, you know, even though we, we um, glorify God and praise him, we never place God in our debt. He doesn't need this. So why does he insist upon it? You know, you think about it. We're put off by anyone, aren't we? who continually draws attention to themselves, even if their claims are true. I mean, we don't mind ourselves praising other people who, you know, who have great gifts. And we may say, hey, he or she, boy, is the greatest. But when that same person starts saying it of themselves, and it puts us off. Now, granted that God is the greatest, must we always be saying it? Always be living in such a way that he gets all the glory. Now, it's a good question, but it's not an interesting one. Not to those who are caught up in glorifying God. And for two reasons. Think about this. I mean, think of a time that you've been caught up, just caught up in ecstasy. You know, maybe you're listening to music and it's, your soul is soaring, you're just, you're just caught up with it, or maybe you're, you have climbed a mountain and you're looking at the wonders of, of nature, and, or, or you're thrilled, maybe you're at a sporting event or something, you're just caught up there in the moment. Perhaps you're in love. Whatever it is, it's captured your thoughts, your emotions. And someone taps you on the shoulder and, and they begin to critique the event. You know, well, you know, I think the music could have been a little bit more like this, or you know, it's not quite the colors I want to see in the sky. And, and you know, what? I mean, you don't want to stop the moment to debate the merits of what you were enjoying, especially when you know the true value in this case of your God, of whom you're glorifying. I don't want to be in a position which I have to defend. Why do I need to be glorifying God? See, the point of the matter is that the Westminster Confession got it right. 
You know, the first question of the catechism, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or if you like John Piper, you know that John Piper likes to rephrase that. Man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That is our joy. See, we know the purpose of life, don't we? We know why we exist. It's to glorify God. We're not, it's not a question in our mind. It's not a little joke. I wonder why we were made. We know why we were made. And we know why there is so much trouble in this life. We've all sinned and we have fallen short of glorifying God. But we do not despair. And we don't despair because of this doctrine. Because God is also determined to be glorified through us. And so he sent Jesus Christ to overcome that problem of falling short. And in Christ, he has made us to be new creatures. And we can now actually glorify him. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Glory be to God. Our lives are no longer futile. They're no longer meaningless. No longer is there some kind of aimless existence, wondering why, what life is about. And whatever troubles come our way, this is the part that blows us away. But let's go back to the scriptures. As they continue to teach what the glory of God means for us. Listen to Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of whom? Of the children of God. 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Speaking of us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. We can, a lot of us can start to relate to that. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is for preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what being, we are being prepared for. Or in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. Or Second Thessalonians. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For in Peter, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And the final vision that we're given in, in Revelation in chapter 21, in that new heaven and that new earth now, and we are told that in the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And His lamp is the Lamb. We're going to live, bathe, dwell in glory. We are. For we cannot give to God what He will not pour out on us beyond measure and beyond our hopes. I mean, isn't I mean, most of us, okay, I'm going to be saved from hell. That's good enough. You know, get up into heaven. That's good enough. No, it's not good enough. We're going to be transformed into beings. As C.S. Lewis said, if we were to see what we were to become like, we would be tempted to bow down to worship. That's our glory. And as we give glory to God alone, he, he pours out on us. The glory of redemption. The glory that, yeah, it's hidden now. We can't really see it. But it will be revealed when our Lord returns. It's the glory of living lives that matter. And that whatever temporary trials might be that, that we face, those are temporary. What matters is what we can't see yet. And that is the glory forever. It is the glory of our inheritance in Jesus Christ that is kept safe for us in heaven. The glory of someday being transformed in the twinkling of an eye. The glory of sharing in the glory of our great God. That is what is before us. Now, I've mentioned Dr. Boyce. I, I served under Dr. Boyce in the 90s. And he, he preached through Romans, and he, of course, preached on this passage. Let me read the conclusion of his sermon on this passage. To God alone be glory. To those who do not know God, that is perhaps the most foolish of all statements. But to those who do know God, to those who are being saved, it is not only a right statement, it is a happy, wise, true, inescapable, and highly desirable confession. It is our glory to make it. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our glory, glory to you, O God, alone. May we live for that every day. May we wake up thinking and praying that to you be the glory throughout the day to be conscious of you, to, to you be all the glory. May we take joy in understanding what this all means. That as we are caught up, caught up in the joy of giving praise and thanksgiving to you, how can it be? How would it be that you would give to us glory? How wondrous this is, our God. And all the more than we say to you, to you alone, be glory. Amen.